Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable, the podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of great men and women of the faith. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable. Uh, so glad you guys have taken time to join us today. Today, I've got uh, a great host, Micah Mack, or Michael McDonald, and uh, we're going to talk about traveling ministry. What does that look like? Uh, what's he doing on the road? How he can serve your church? Uh, what's he doing? So thanks for uh, pulling up a chair and some coffee and joining us today. So I want to introduce you guys to uh, Micah McDonald or Micah Mack. And uh, man, he's doing some awesome things uh, for uh, traveling ministry. He has been a youth pastor, been serving in the local church as well, uh, but has made that transition into the full-time evangelist, uh, focusing in on youth ministry, uh, although he does a lot of uh, adult ministry as well, but primary focus doing youth camps, conventions, uh, conferences for youth. Uh, and so, Mike, thanks for joining, man. So why don't you just uh, take a minute and introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, so uh, like Ryan said, first of all, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. And to whoever tunes in, um, hopefully this can be a, a benefit to you. And uh, I uh, live in Egan, Minnesota, and I don't know if uh, we have any pastors listening in from Minnesota, but I am biased. I think Minnesota is the best state uh, in the whole country. And some of you right now just turned it off because you <laughs> think I'm delusional and why in the world would you want to live in Minnesota? But born and raised here, 33 years old. Uh, I have a wife and two kids, ages three and one. And we are on the road full time as traveling evangelists under the ministry name Mac Ministries. And if you are serving in the local church, you're in the local church context in any way, I want to say um, we applaud you and we are cheering you on. Um, we have a roots in the local church as youth pastors. Uh, my wife's a worship pastor. She still serves in, in some capacity as, as a music pastor at a church here and uh, very much integrated in the local church. And um, we believe it's the, the hope of, of, of the world uh, and reaching people. And so thank you for doing what you do. That's awesome. So, okay, you've talked about, you've traveled, you talk about local foods. So, and, and you talked about something that's local to where you guys are at. I don't remember what it was, but it, it freaked me out, man. So what, what is it? So local foods that are awesome in Minnesota is uh, one, we're known for the land of 10,000 lakes, but we more so have like 15, 16,000 lakes, but we're known for what's called the Juicy Lucy Burger. And uh, President Obama, we took him there, not me, but uh, we took him there right when he landed to a place called Matt's Bar, small little grill, and there's usually lines out the door. And a Juicy Lucy is basically um, a, a patty, a raw patty where you put cheese in the middle, put another patty on top, you grill it, you sear it together, and there's uh, when you take a bite into it, you have to wait a couple minutes because the cheese is bubbling and boiling on the inside. So when you bite into it, cheese literally drips out of the burger. And so the Juicy Lucy is what we're famous for, what we're known for, and then fresh walleye out of our lakes. If you've ever had fresh walleye, 
crusted walleye, Parmesan crusted walleye. Some good food in Minnesota. <laughs> For some reason, I don't feel like you're eating a lot of the Juicy Lucy's, though. Uh, you know, I don't special occasions, though. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay, so how do we get connected with you? Mac Ministries, tell us how we get, get connected with you. Yeah, so we have a website, um, www.mac-ministries.com. Um, that's one way. Uh, you can also follow our social media handles. Uh, Instagram is at Mac Ministries underscore. Uh, our personal account is at Pastor Micah Mac. Facebook is just Micah Mac. Um, and then we do have a Twitter handle at Micah Mac Mac. And so those are some of our social handles. And then our email is MacMin at yahoo.com. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. So, okay, so talking about your ministry, you guys have taken a little bit of a different approach than a lot of guys that are traveling full-time. And you guys have actually, uh, you guys run as a nonprofit, but you guys actually bring in ministry support, right, um, to help offset a lot of those costs. And, um, you know, you talked about your family, and a lot of times you're, you're, you're taking, you know, some, some finances from that ministry to pay for your family to come with you. Like this. Just why'd you do that? Talk about that. It's just a different approach than a lot of guys. And so what, what was that like for you? Making that decision? Yeah. So uh, for us, when we started this ministry, we wanted to do what the wisest thing was. And um, we sought out evangelists who'd been on the road prior to us. And one of the things they really encouraged us with is you need to start your own 501c3 for multiple reasons. But one, was for legal reasons. Let's say I'm preaching somewhere, someone in your congregation hated what I said, now they want to sue us. Or rather than suing me, they now sue the ministry. Um, so there's credibility there with that. As well as um, I talked to a lot of evangelists that actually aren't on the road today anymore because they said they couldn't provide for their family, they couldn't take care of their family, um, therefore they're not doing it anymore. In fact, when I first started on the road and I was raising support, uh, there were some pastors that looked at me and they're like, buddy, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle here. You don't really see evangelists anymore on the road. You don't do the Sunday night revivals, the Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night revivals anymore like you used to see. And, um, and we, we never set out to do this because this was like, like this big dream or God desire. We set out to do this because this is exactly what God called us to do and we could be obedient or not. So that's why we did it. And so why we started Mac Ministries um, and kind of get that support is they said, hey, um, in order to do to do it right, you want to go that direction and get monthly support. And so therefore, um, monthly support frees us up in a lot of ways. Now, when we come to your church or your conference or convention, we're not sitting there thinking, oh boy, I really hope we get a thousand dollars this week, because if we don't get this thousand dollars, we can't pay our mortgage. Now, when we show up to a church or a conference, we're not thinking about money. We're freed up to be a blessing, to do ministry, to bless the pastor, the pastor's wife, the pastor's kids. Uh, we look to be a blessing everywhere we go. Um, and so by having monthly supporters, it helps offset a lot of the costs. And another reason is uh, we don't want to travel alone. I try to have a value of never traveling alone. And that means a pastor saying, hey, we can't fly your buddy down. We can fly you down. But I can say to the pastor now, hey... I'll fly a buddy down if that's okay. I'll cover his costs if you cover mine. And so we wanted to set ourselves up to do this for the long haul. It also created margin in our ministry to say no to pastors or say no to leaders for our own personal health. 
And um, people that don't travel on the road or they don't have a traveling ministry, sometimes the thoughts are, oh, this guy, he just gets to do the same message over and over. Or, oh, this guy must be an easy life or a hard life. I want to flip it a little bit and say there's an aspect, an element of traveling that also maybe people who've never traveled, they don't understand the dynamic or the challenges or the problems or things that can come up. And so, um, but uh, that's why we started it was to um, focus more of a, oh, we, we need this to No, let's let our ministry be a blessing everywhere we go. Let's be wise and let's set it up for the long haul. So there's credibility to doing what we do. Yeah. You talked about the, you know, kind of the cost of traveling and it's, it, it's not always what everyone might think it is. So what would you say to the guy, the youth pastor, the lead pastor, something like that? It's kind of like, man, maybe I should start doing more traveling. What if I just go into a travel ministry? What do you, what do you say to them? Yeah. To the youth pastor or any kind of leader that's thinking I want to do more traveling and I want to do more preaching. Um, I want to caution you. And uh, the reason why I want to caution you is number one, you have to know that this is God doing this in your heart, that it's God doing this in your life. And if it's not, don't even think about it. The worst thing is doing something that God never wanted you to do or called you to do. And just because you see me make a post on my Instagram or a, a, a traveling pastor who pastors a church and travel and speaks, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Um, there's oftentimes lonely, uh, can be lonely on the road. Um, there's a whole bunch of challenges with it. And, um, the other thing I would say is before you ever took that step of faith, there needs to be fruit before you even consider the step of faith. Meaning, um, if you feel like this is what God's leading you to do, but yet you haven't had any fruit come from, um, someone asking you to come speak outside or any of those kinds of things, then I, I would caution you just to be, uh, uh, a little slow with that, with that approach. Um, and so, um, I, I would just say, um, um, bloom where you're planted, uh, grow where you're planted. If God wants you on the road and God wants you to travel, he will make you restless. He will make you, uh, miserable to the point where you actually need or have to obey him. So I say, I'd like to say this is let God birth it. Let God lead you through it. Let other people confirm it in your life. Let other people speak to the fruit that they see. And um, let God lead that process. Uh, the worst thing is feeling like you have to make everything go versus God's making it all go. And you're just merely following him and doing what he's calling you to do. So that's what I would say to any pastor or leader that's thinking of making that leap of traveling and preaching. Yeah, yeah. So you guys have been doing it. You chose the name Mac Ministries. Your last name, your full last name is McDonald. So tell me that 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 story going from your you know, last name McDonald to Mac. Yeah, so really interesting story. Um, I was doing school assemblies with a, a evangelist I really look up to. And um, he said, you need to go to Micah Mac and not Micah MacDonald. And I was like, well, you know, that's weird. I, I like my last name. He said, no, you need to switch it to Micah Mac. And I said, well, why? He said, let me tell you why. Grabbed the phone, called his four-year-old son and said, hey, son, it's dad. I'm on the road. I love you, buddy. Hey, I got a question for you. And the little boy goes, yeah, dad. He goes, say, to my, say hi to my friend. Say hi, Micah Mac. And you hear the little boy on the other end go, hi, Micah Mac. And now he says, okay, son, now say this, say, hi, Micah MacDonald. 
And the son goes, hi, Micah Mac. And he kind of like blurred and slurred the last part of my name. And he said, Micah, he said, you want a name that sticks when you're on the road, a name that people remember. And so he said, you need to switch your name to Micah Mac when you're out on the road. And so I, I still to this day, even though my social handles are all Micah Mac, it doesn't bother me what people say if it's MacDonald or Micah Mac. Um, but uh, it was an encouragement from another evangelist who said it, it helps kind of stick and keep it. I thought maybe it was uh, Toby. You wanted to be like Toby Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many churches or people have said, I thought you were a, a hip hop artist or I thought you were a rap Micah Mac coming in to throw down some rap. And so it's been fun to play with it. That's funny. That's funny. So you talked about doing school assemblies. Tell us just a little bit about your ministry journey from, you know, local, local church. All that. Yep. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't be where I am today apart from the local church. I uh, come from a broken family, a broken home. My dad was a pastor at one point, um, had a, a moral failure in his life, stopped going to church. And my mom uh, called a friend saying, where's the best family church to bring my kids? I ended up at a church called Cedar Valley Church and um, at the age of 13. And uh, my mom, probably the best decision she ever did as a single mom was to get her family in church. And that's where I ended up meeting uh, these youth pastors, the youth leaders and um, uh, God moved in my heart in a powerful way in junior high and high school, discipled me. Um, I was a part of that church and then graduated from high school, was a youth leader and, uh, had a zealous ambition to go sell all my belongings and go on the mission field. And, um, you know, that's verse in scripture where it says, sell everything you have and give your life to me. I was like, I'm going to do it. I feel called to it. And, um, as I did that, my mom found out about it and she said, you better not quit your job. And so uh, I was ticked off at her. I thought she was the devil. You see, God, you gave me my mom who's trying to, you know, get me to not follow your call in my life. And then I listened to her and I get a phone call two days later. It's my lead pastor. He said, I want to have a meeting with you in my office. And I was like, oh, great. What's what's he going to say? And he said, hey, Michael, we see a call of God on your life. We want to pay for all of your education. Where do you want to go to school? And we'll pay for all the tuition. I blurted out North Central University, it's the Assemblies of God University in downtown Minneapolis, graduated with a youth ministry degree, and my pastor said, you can go wherever you feel led to go, we'll help you get there. And uh, I just felt like God told me, stay put, stay put and serve at Cedar Valley. So I served a year and a half for free um, in the youth department and didn't uh, didn't tell the pastor to hire me or anything. And um, a year and a half later, Pastor Jerry hired me on as a youth pastor. And I was a part of a youth pastor team there. And after three and a half years, I oversaw the whole youth ministry. And uh, so I was a youth pastor for five years, wife a worship pastor at Cedar Valley. And then, uh, and then the call came to transition out, take a step of faith. And whenever you take a step of faith, you will be questioned. You will be challenged. People will, um, um, they'll, you, you'll be misunderstood. Um, but looking back now, two years, September 20th, will be two years since we took the step of faith. And uh, we have watched God blow open doors, only he could do. And uh, just, it's been an amazing journey the last two years. And uh, that's what we've been doing on the road as a family. Uh, our family comes with about 60% of the time on the road to go minister together. Uh, I love that. I love that. So I know you've got a heart for for youth and also for youth leaders. So what would you say to that guy that is just getting started in ministry, maybe in youth ministry, maybe kids ministry, maybe even 
you know, just getting started as an executive pastor, what would you say to that, that younger guy that's just getting started? I would say, number one, uh, you're not a failure. Uh, it's surprising to me um, in my travels, in my journeys, uh, the amount of pastors and people that I get to talk with that are burdened down, that are discouraged, that feel alone. And number one, I would say to you is you are not a failure. Uh, God has placed you right where you are for such a time as this. He's for you. And with that, I would say, uh, don't do life alone. Find a mentor in your life that you can meet with. Um, find other youth pastors, find other executive pastors, find other people that you can rub shoulders with, encourage one another. Um, and then also I would say, and this goes for anybody in any level of leadership, but find somebody in your life that you can be 100% completely honest to, open with, um, to help you through those tough times or tough moments. Um, but uh, I, I've, I've noticed this, I've picked up on this, that young leaders, if they're not in the right context or right environment, can get swallowed up in ministry through various forms, comparison, um, uh, feeling like you're not executing um, your job at the highest ability, feeling incompetent, um, feeling like your weaknesses outweigh your strengths. And I just want to back it all up for you and just say, God led you to this point. And if he led you to this point, he's not going to stop leading you. As long as you keep acknowledging him and trusting in him and really depending on him. And so instead of dwelling on the weaknesses, really easy to say, dwell on him who got you there and how he's going to see you through. And so however you can be a part of a, a, a cohort, a community, accountability group, whatever it is to kind of help you keep going in the trenches. And so I heard a great sermon one time that faith, majority of faith is just keeping your trust in Jesus. And inching along like an inchworm he related to an inchworm faith is like an inchworm you, you move along little by little each day keeping the faith don't grow weary in doing what's right keep the faith in jesus and if you faint not watch a harvest that you will reap and so i have a heart and passion to see pastors leaders not quitting not giving up keep the faith jesus is for you he led you to that point and um, you're not a failure you're not alone and um, he wants to help you. Yeah. So talk to me, you know, a little bit about what your your teach. I know you're really passionate right now about helping students uh, with this idea of, of developing a prayer closet. So mm -hmm. talk to mm -hmm. you about that. Talk to us about just the prayer closet concept. Where did it come from? Uh, and just kind of what's going on with with as you're traveling around talking to students about it. Yeah, definitely. So prayer has been a huge part of our ministry. And the reason why is because today, what we're doing, we would not have done it had we not been obedient to God calling us to an extended time of prayer. I was preaching at a conference in Canada, and uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Micah, I want you to start a prayer room in your house. And so I called my wife. She said, let's do it. Started a prayer room in her house, and I went in there for maybe 10 minutes a day thinking that was good. By the end of the year, it was not uncommon to be spending an hour or more praying, praying in the spirit, listening to God. And what I what I didn't realize is how much it would change me. And so we have a huge passion to lead ministries, churches, students, pastors into what Jesus said in Matthew 6. When the disciples said, Jesus teaches how to pray. He said, OK, you want to know how to pray? 
go to your bedroom, shut your door, and what your father sees you doing in secret, he will reward you. And we have a heart to lead the next generation and people into places where they can shut the door, no one's around, and they're spending time with Jesus. And so we encourage people to start a prayer room. And we tell kids, don't start it alone, meaning bring your Bible, bring a journal, bring your worship music, and then bring your friends with you is what we tell you. And then they you know, think, well, I'm not bringing my friends. Well, no, bring a list of friends or people that don't know Jesus. Bring a list of people that need breakthroughs. I cannot tell you how many miracles we've seen in people's lives, people being found, lost people coming to know Christ, people being healed, diseases that are that are life ending, watching people radically transformed. And it all stems back to what Jesus told us to do. He says, ask me, ask me. And then I love in Luke 18, when he says to the reference of the persistent window is when I come back, will my father find faith on the earth? He equated faith on the earth to the persistence of prayer, pray and don't give up. That is a huge passion point, a heartbeat of ours. It's the whole ministry model to our ministry. We don't ask pastors to, uh, to come preach. We don't uh, have this huge marketing campaign we do. We literally pray and fast. And Billy Graham prayed a prayer one time. He said, God, I pray that I would go wherever you want me to go and I would be whoever you want me to be. And we have stolen that prayer. We've adopted it. We've implemented it. So we leave our whole calendar up to God to help fill it, bring us to the places we're supposed to minister. And we have watched supernaturally kingdom principles still apply today and work today. And so we have a huge passion for that. And uh, we get messages from students all over the country, people all over the country. I even still travel and preach places and kids come up to me being like, I'm still in my prayer room. I'm still seeking Jesus. This is how he's changed my life. And uh, we can't ignore the fruit. And uh, Jesus said the fruit would come for those who remain and abide in me. That's good. So tell me, talk to us just a little bit about what about for us? I mean, you talked about that prayer closet. What is that? You know, how does that translate into like youth pastors? Do you find that are you encouraging youth pastors to begin to do that? Like in their youth ministries or at their churches, how does that yep. translate into the youth ministry? Yep. So we definitely encourage leaders to lead the way first. Um, we watched how it changed our life. And so we encourage leaders, Hey, why don't you start with yourself first and watch what God does in your heart first. And it's so funny because when we go to prayer first, we go often wanting to see God change things in our surrounding, in our environment. But he always changes you. Always. He always does things inside of you. And my best ideas, my greatest, grandest ideas have all come from prayer. Moments of prayer. Moments of him speaking to me. God showing me things. And um, just to give you pastors as leaders a framework, a really good way to pray is I have three things that I like to pray for. One is I love to pray for uh, spiritual breakthroughs. So the first category is breakthrough. God, do a breakthrough in my life in any area that's entangling me, that needs to be broken off of me, that I'm dealing with, bring breakthrough. And then I shift it to people around my life. God, bring spiritual breakthrough, and I, whoever it might be. And then I ask God, number two is um, 
I ask for divine um, opportunities or the windows of heaven to be opened up for favor. I pray for favor. And then I not only pray blessing over our ministry, but I pray favor over other ministries. I'm praying for other evangelists, other people, missionaries, other people that God's favor would be on their ministries. And then the last thing I pray for is God, give me spiritual insight to defeat the enemy. And I feel like in the times we're living in as pastors, we need to be wise and how we respond and how we act, but we also need spiritual insight. And God loves to give us spiritual insight. And that prayer has saved me from so many different things or, or warnings or, or, hey, be on guard with this or, hey, discern this. And so those are kind of three frameworks you can kind of pray around. Um, and then I typically like to end my prayer just by waiting on the Holy Spirit and saying, God, show me people that I need to text right now and encourage. So I'll just sit there and I'll wait until a name comes to mind or a face comes to mind. And then I'll just pray for him. And then I'll shoot him a quick text. Hey, uh, Ryan, you came to mind today, man. Just want you to know I, I believe in you. I love you. I'm praying for you today. Simple as that. And it's been so cool to get responses back saying that was like spot on. That was perfect. And so it's like anything else. When it gets in your heart, it can't help but get into the sheep's heart. It can't help but spill over into your students uh, and your student ministry and your student leaders or your, your board or, or you name it. And so, um, yeah, that's how I challenge leaders. It's so great how something just as fundamental, you know, just as prayer. And I think so often um, people are kind of intimidated by the idea of praying and we hear, uh, we hear, Oh man, I've been praying for an hour. I pray yeah. for an hour. And, and so many people are just intimidated by that. So, what are you saying to encourage that person that maybe just feels overwhelmed by, and maybe they're even listening to this podcast right now, and, and they themselves uh, are pastoring, but maybe their prayer life isn't quite where, you know, where it probably should be, right? And so sure. uh, what's your encouragement to that person? I would say this, the more you pray, the more you will pray. And um, I love how Jesus gave a format for the disciples. He started out by um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus started off with worship and praise to his Father. And I heard a really cool excerpt one time from a pastor. He said, if I know I only have 10 minutes in my day to pray, he said, I'll spend nine minutes worshiping God and then spend one minute praying. And I love that because worship sets the tone in the environment and your connection to God. And scripture says he already knows what you need before you even ask him. So starting off in worship, it just, there's that connection there with God. And then don't beat yourself up if it's a one minute prayer or a five minute prayer. I would encourage you to start somewhere. Um, when I first felt called to start a prayer room, like I said, it was literally five minutes. I looked at the clock and I was like, I don't know what else to, I don't know what else to pray for. Okay, I guess I'm done. And um, it wasn't like, oh, I, I set a 30-minute timer. Once it hits 30 minutes, I'm done. No, I would just challenge you and encourage you. God's uniquely made you. Don't get upset or discouraged if you're like, oh, I just feel like I can't do this. Go for a walk and pray. Go out in nature and pray. Go to a coffee shop. Find out how you best connect with God and then feed into that. But don't be afraid to mix it up, to go somewhere, to go in a walk in your neighborhood. I love uh, pastor and excerpt said, don't just pray for your community, pray in your community. So maybe you go walk the neighborhoods and just start praying for the neighborhood. Go to the coffee shops, um, feel, feel creative or free 
to start this journey in, in, in learning to pray. The disciples were on a journey just like we are. So you talked about spending, uh, you know, a good chunk, if not just the majority of time in worship. So what's that song? What's that album that you're just, just going to right now? Yeah. So I don't really necessarily have an album. Um, I, naturally, I'm an emotional guy. I'm a feeler guy and I'm a moment guy. So I love the songs that have big buildups, but maybe they start off slow. Um, anything Hillsong, I love Bethel, um, Elevation. Um, yeah, I like any of those. Um, lately, I've been going on YouTube and just typing in um, worship uh, or extended worship time. And there's been some cool, like just extended, spontaneous worship sets that I'll just play ongoing or running. And so and not necessarily like a specific album or a specific song, but usually just try to find something going on in the background that can just kind of set an environment for me and my own voice to worship God or, or honor him and give thanks to him. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what are some things that uh, maybe in the prayer times or just as you're traveling in this, this time of season of, of transition, what are some things that you're learning about yourself? What have you learned about yourself that you feel like we sh we could learn from as well? Um, halt. Some of you have heard this. Hungry, um, uh, angry, lonely, and tired. Don't make Don't make big decisions. Don't make any kind of decisions when you're at a place of halt. Stop. Uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I may have gotten that wrong in some form or fashion, but I've realized it's important for every leader to understand their rhythms and how they work, uh, which means um, what I've noticed is when I'm facing burnout or I'm facing re uh, really tired or I'm emotionally spent, I've noticed a rhythm about myself, which is this. My thoughts get negative. Um, I get critical. Um, I see things from other people and I get jealous. Um, and I realized the rhythm to myself that okay time out you haven't gone to bed properly you're not getting enough sleep you just got done doing nine weeks of summer camp um like you so i say all that to say this is it's really important that you understand yourself in your rhythms as a leader knowing your outputs versus knowing your inputs and knowing what's going to bring life to you like for me in order to survive and make it nine weeks i ask the leaders i say hey is it okay for me to go to a gym to take care of your physical health, your mental health, your, your spiritual health um, is vital. It's vital. And if you find yourself in those moments of being critical or, or bad thoughts, then you got to kind of take a step back and say, hey, you yourself aren't bad. You're not a horrible person. It could just be uh, you need a day off. You need to go for a walk. You need to you need to go work out, you, you know. And so just understanding you and how you tick is going to be very vital for your success and, and staying healthy. So you talked about working out and sometimes you just need to take a break. So are you following any specific diets, workout routines? What I know you're a, a fit guy. So what are you, what are you doing? Yep. So um, you can Google this. Um, it's called intermittent fasting. Uh, it's kind of a big kick right now. I feel like a lot of people are on it. Keto. There's this kind of an association with keto. You can make keto coffee. So what I do is um, I partner intermittent fasting with prayer and fasting. Um, and so right now, actually, I'm on a 40-day prayer and fasting where I'm not eating breakfast. I'm not eating lunch. Uh, and then I'll eat maybe a smoothie at 2 p.m. And then I'll eat a full dinner. 
And uh, the coffee is a regular black coffee with some coconut oil and some grass-fed um, butter, Irish cream butter. That's called Kerrygold. You can buy it at Aldi. And I blend it in an immersion blender, and I drink that with a big cup of water in the morning and not coffee. That kickstarts your body to start eating away at the fat cells and um, gets your body in a state of ketosis where it's actually eating away at the fat um, to where you can lose uh, uh, you can lose fat, and then I'll work out in the morning, so I'll do fasted workouts. Um, I recommend, uh, if you've never worked out before, I'd recommend not killing yourself or hurting yourself. Ease your way into it. Um, uh, also, I wouldn't ignore working out with a trainer, but I go to the gym four to five days a week, and it's a variety of different lifts that I do. I do four sets of different lifts, um, upper body, lower body, and uh, I need that time personally. Um, and so... Um, I do a 40 day intermittent fasting in the spring, just before summer camp season. And I do an intermittent 40 day fast, um, in fall, right before all the fall ministry starts and launches. And so these 40 day fasts have been game changers and lifesavers for me personally. Um, people have asked me like, how in the world is your calendar so full? How do you get booked out so much? And I literally go back to times of prayer in times of fasting. And uh, obviously, you know, it's biblical. I don't need to spend much time on that. But I've just watched over and over how God resets me. He recalibrates me. He does things inside of me. It's like surgery, literally going inside and, and getting rid of the things that you need to be getting rid of and filled up with him, hearing his voice more clearly. Um, those have been some of the sweetest uh, just times of ministry just to remember, hey, it's just about abiding. It's about remaining. Um, especially in a ministry where, you know, I'm always looking at the calendar, you know, is this going to get filled? Is this going to get booked? And so, um, but yeah, as far as the, the gym and the diet, um, those are some things that I, that I do. So I'm not perfect at it. I'm not saying I'm the best at it, but, uh, it's things that have really helped me take stress away or have endorphins released and, and, and have some, some good thoughts. So for sure, for sure. So I know you're a reader as well. So what are some books that you're reading or what's a book that you've recommended to people quite often? Yep. Um, some books that have kind of highlighted for me is um, uh, a book by Brennan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And uh, I want to recommend this book for anybody that is feeling really discouraged or you're at a really low point right now in your life. Um, uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel breaks it down on God's love for us and humanity, but uh, it definitely will fill your soul and meet you in your despair, meet you in your discouragement. Um, I also like Jesus Amongst Other Gods by Ravi Zacharias, and he highlights what stands out about Christ in comparison to Hinduism, Buddhism, and Muslim or Islam. Um, and then another one is a book called Anonymous. Every young pastor, every young leader needs to read the book Anonymous. And the reason why I say that is this, is there is a pressure for young leaders today that now all of a sudden gives you an influence and a platform right away where ministers who've gone before us thought to themselves, oh, this platform will happen when I'm 55 or when I'm 60, then it will happen. Well, what we're seeing today is there's elevated influence and elevated platform and what you need to understand is God's plans might not be elevation or influence. God's plans might be anonymous. 
And um, uh, I believe it's Alicia Britt Coley. I don't know if you, if you know the author off the top of your hand, uh, Ryan, but um, an amazing, amazing book that took the pressure off of me, a timely read. And what I've realized with books is um, books are great. You can hear my list of recommendations, but sometimes the best book is the book that finds you in the right time of your life or the right season of your life. And so those are three books that um, I've really enjoyed, that I've loved. Um, and so, yeah, some ones that come to mind. I'm, for, I'm forgetting her name, too. I actually saw her speak at a, a, a pastor's luncheon, and it was incredible, just talking about those years where we don't, we don't even know. We, we still don't know much about those anonymous years of Jesus's life. And right. there were far more of those years than the years that we do know about and just that I love the idea what you're talking about is that, um, you know, there was in the past without social media and all that kind of stuff that you kind of earned, but the influence kind of like gradually increased, but now it, it almost seems not, I could be wrong, but it almost seems like it almost spikes really high. And then it's almost like the longer you're around or the older you get almost decreases, you know, almost, and so I, I love that idea. So what are you talking to guys about? What's your encouragement, you know, coming from, you know, that book or just mm-hmm. and your own experience about mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they do feel like anonymous or maybe they might, might need to feel anonymous. What's your what's your thoughts on that? Um, let me do this real quick. There we go. Um, sorry about that. My thoughts. Yeah, is um, I, I like to remind myself. And I like to remind others that, hey, remember, you are a human being and you're not a human doing. And um, the emphasis is uh, doing and we become human doings that we forget our beings. And I'm actually really curious, Ryan, to watch as we continue on in culture. I'm curious to know the long term effect of what we're seeing today with the exposure and the highlights of really great. I'll throw myself in there. I'm 33. I'll throw myself in this. But I'm curious to see the long-term impact and the long-term effect of what this is doing to young ministers, to young pastors, and kind of portraying this, um, in my opinion, a false reality of, of Christendom or his kingdom. Um, you look at Christ and you look at the gospel, he shows time and time again the foolish things of the world, the lowly, the least, and I feel like if we're not careful, we can always want the more, the bigger, the greater, the more influence. And uh, I might rub people the wrong way a little bit with this next one, but a word that kind of scares me a little bit is the word influence. Because when I look at the kingdom, I don't see the emphasis on influence. I see the emphasis on obedience. And I reason why I bring that up is because when our goal is influence, it's possible to have all the influence but not be obedient. And sometimes obedience doesn't equate to influence. Sometimes obedience um, means a missionary going overseas. And because of their obedience and following Jesus, they lead one Muslim to Christ, one person to Christ. And it started the domino effect. But that missionary never saw the influence, never saw the big numbers but their obedience is what mattered. And so I would tell my encouragement to young ministers is, hey, understand um, God works for those who are just faithful with the little. You know, why am I gonna give you true riches when 
you can't be faithful with the little. And so I, I would say staying faithful with the little things, working on character versus working on platform, um, working on being, just being a human being versus being a human doing. And, um, and then two, I would say, Ryan, you hit it spot on the head. You said something along the lines of those before us, maybe even older, it almost seems like they start to have a downward trend. I would say we need to be learning from the pastors who've gone before us and the things that they've uh, endured and witnessed. And there's wisdom there, you know, and almost a bridging of, 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 of those of those where we are now with young leaders being forced to the front. And um, these guys who are, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, who can kind of speak into the next generation. And so um, I, I also think we need to understand how short life is and how much of a breath it is. And um, the wealthy will die and no one will remember them. The influential will die and no one will remember them. It keeps the emphasis on Christ. Uh, I think of Psalms 1, oaks of righteousness planted. That's a long time of roots. And, uh, and so I think the, the reminder is, hey, let's be about what Paul said of wanting to finish our race and finish our race well and keeping the long goal in mind versus the short bursts of, oh, I got a lot of retweets on this or, oh, I got a lot of views on this video that I preached. No, and we can say it's in the name of getting Jesus out there, but um, I'm very curious to know 10, 15, 20 years from now, how this all shapes out and what it looks like. So, yeah, I'm also wondering those guys, you know, it's that surge of, man, I really need to get all that. And then it just seems like people are kind of almost getting over it a little bit of like, man, I, I do just need to be faithful where, where I'm at. I am, I need to be. And, and man, I, you know, I think that we do need to have that resurgence of people that feeling called to uh, the middle of nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. and I'm never going to be, there's, there's really nothing for me to tweet. Right. There's nothing for mm -hmm. me to, <laughs> you know, like it, I'm just here with the same people doing the same thing, you know, and, and that, yeah. that faithfulness, that diligence is, 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 is that obedience that you talked about. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know you've got a lot of people speaking into your life. Obviously you've, you've mentioned some, but uh, who are some voices that have really shaped you um, maybe in your personal life or even just some pastors? I know you, you mentioned uh, you know, even someone just helping with, with a, a name, right? So what are some sources that are influencing you? Yeah. So um, I've always felt this and seen this, but you know, things in life and how we pastor and how we model things, it's more caught than taught. And uh, they say one out of 10 pastors will retire in the ministry for various reasons, but Jerry Strandquist retired in the ministry. And um, uh, he lives in Arizona now, but I watched the way he led. I watched the way he did things. And when I was a youth pastor under him, I felt like I got to be a part of a sweet spot of his ministry. Pastor um, made sure to pastor me, to take care of me, to let me fall down, scrape my knee as a young youth pastor. He saw things way ahead of me than I ever saw him. And uh, he created a safe pit, a safe space, a, a shelter, um, not to where I couldn't grow, but he empowered me to lead and uh, just axioms like leave it better than you found it. He messed me up forever because I go into public restrooms route now and I see things on the floor and I pick up garbage in public restrooms because <laughs> of his axiom, leave it better than you found it. Be a giver, not a taker is another one that he uses. 
Um, just leadership principles, how I saw he led, how he loved people. Another one is never um, always talk to people the same. Never treat anyone differently. Treat everybody the same. You don't know how God's going to use uh, somebody. Um, another one is my youth pastor, Ryan Skoog. He now oversees multiple companies. He oversees a, a nonprofit called Venture Expeditions. Um, literally, God's using him and this organization to reach sex trafficked girls and see them healed. Um, um, feeding programs all over the world. Um, and he taught me how to pray. Uh, he brought me in as a student leader and would, I'd watch him pray. I'd watch how he'd pray. And then I, I'm now doing the things that he does. Roger Lane, a coach to many pastors. If you're looking for a coach in your life, Roger helps you with goals, helps you with how to accomplish those. Um, very wise. Um, he's amazing at fundraising. If you ever need help with fundraising, Roger Lane is another guy. And so those are three guys that stand out to me. And then another one is an evangelist. His name's Eric Samuel Tin. Eric was the one who told me to go to Mike and Mac instead of Mike and MacDonald. But Eric's just been a guy who's been doing this for a while now and has kind of took me under his wing and, and gave me a chance uh, to preach in school, or sorry, to speak in schools, public schools. Um, has given me advice, corrected me, helped me. Um, he's often someone I call who understands road life. Uh, I just feel like I don't need to say much to him. He just understands. And so, um, and then obviously my peers. I have some really best friends, amazing friends, who've come alongside and helped me as well. Eric Samuel Tim, love. I yes, love him. he's great. He's great. Yep. I love him. He's doing so many great things with uh, painting, hope, and and traveling, speaking. Uh, yep. And he's a local guy. Yep. Yep. He yep. knows Minnesota life. He, he knows about what the was it Juicy Lucy? Juicy Lucy's. He right. knows all about them. Yeah. yeah, he knows about the Juicy. I I need to I need to ask him about the Juicy Lucy. I haven't asked him about that one. Yeah, yeah you do. So I'm sure this is this next question has changed uh, as you guys have transitioned. But uh, what does your sermon preparation look like? What does that process look like for you? Yeah. Um, so as far as sermon prep goes, um, well, one, we're in a unique role in that um, we travel the country and we're not preaching every Sunday. So how my sermon prep looks for someone on the road is uh, just staying sensitive and aware um, to what's on God's heart. But if I'm going into your church, uh, I'll work with you as a pastor to say, hey, what series are you in? What series did you just finish? What series are you going into? Hey, what's your church culture like? How can I help um, spur on what God's already doing in your church. So sermon prep for me is finding out the DNA of where we're going to minister to make sure I help fit or add on to the experience of, of the congregation or the people that we're going to be speaking to. Now, if it's a camp, um, I do a vision trip. I take a week out of the year to go and pray and fast and ask God, show me themes that are on your heart for the next generation and um, show me passages in scripture. I'm an expository preacher. I like preaching from one text. Um, and so I'll ask God, show me text or themes that I can do all summer long for these kids to impart into the next generation. And so I prefer expository preaching because of that. Um, reading the text over and over and over, uh, multiple times, 30 times, 40 times, reading it over, looking for nuances, looking for different things in the text finding out before um, the, the chapter before, finding out the big umbrella picture, what is the gospel of Mark, who is the audience, the original context, all of those things help find the gold nuggets 
in the text to help preach. And then uh, I'll be really transparent. I used to preach uh, knowing that I had two really good stories. And then I would build my sermons or scripture verses on top of the two really good stories. And it, what really freed me is, Micah, there, there's power in God's word already. There's transformation in his word. So why don't you start with the word, get it in you, let your points come from the word. And so everything is word-based for us. We let the word do the preaching. We pull our points from the text and uh, we supplement then to help illustrate the main point on what scripture is trying to say. And then when we get done preaching, yeah, people will make comments about a story or a testimony, but people will remember the journey through the text. And so, uh, however we can marinate in it, pray over it, um, understanding where it fits in the overall, excuse me, scheme of the book that we're studying, and um, just giving the best uh, uh, best use of scripture and being able to teach it in a relatable relatable way uh, with people sitting there in the audience. So are you seeing any trends when it comes to sermons or connecting with uh, the next generation? Are you seeing any trends or, uh, you know, here's some things that, that I'm seeing that guys are doing that's working kind of around the nation that, um, you know, maybe is up and coming or here's some things that these guys are doing that. And it just seems like this is, is kind of working when we're talking about sermons um, and connecting with them. Yeah, so um, kids don't really care about the knowledge you spit out or the unique facts that you're going to spit out. I'm talking about students. They're not necessarily going to go home and be like, Mom, Dad, this was amazing. Out of all my travels, I've had one student come to me and say, Whoa, I had no idea this lined up with this based on study. It doesn't mean you don't study. You study. But if you have the gold principle and the gold nugget of the truth of God's word, but yet you're struggling to relay that to the audience, I would just start off by first um, studying your audience, knowing the felt needs of what's going on and who you're communicating to. Um, the next generation right now in a big way uh, deals with anxiety, um, deals with depression, um, confusion. Picture being a teenager right now in America. Picture what it's like to flip on the news, the MTV Teen Music Awards, all the YouTube influencers are following, and picture how confusing it is to grow up in the times that they're in. And so what I love to do is I love to walk into the very audience's life that I'm ministering to. I bring up the aspect of confusion. I bring up sleepless nights. So many kids aren't getting enough sleep at night. I bring up uh, the concept of anxiety or the concept of depression. Walking in their life the best way you can. Um, walking into their life of their social media apps that they're using. DM means direct message. Kids are getting flooded every day with different DMs. Um, the pressure young girls are feeling uh, sexually nowadays from boys their age. The more you know about the next generation, the more it will help you be a better communicator from your pulpit. A great email I want to provide for you, very practical. If you haven't signed up for it, it's called Culture Translator. Um, you can find it on Access, I believe, A-X-I-S, but it's called Culture Translator. Once a month, they send out an email about what's going on in teen culture. That has helped me tremendously stay relevant without ever having to go to an app or go to a site. I can read this email, and then it gives you parental guides, how to talk to your student, how to talk to your kid about what's going on in teen culture. And so um, teen culture is shifting, it's changing. Um, and then I would also say uh, to grow in the art of storytelling. 
So instead of opening up your Bibles and reading 40 verses of Scripture to the next generation, they'll probably tune you out. But if you can find a way to captivate their minds and hearts by using stories and putting it in a story form, now all of a sudden you got them. And the best way I can help you with that is find out the tension that's there in the text. Find out the tension that exists there and then relate it to an everyday human tension so that you can tee it up with the tension and now they want to know what's going on and then you can help bring them on the journey through walking with what God actually has to say about it. So um, uh, however you can best know them uh, uh, and understand who you're speaking to or ministering to is going to be huge in your, your context of your delivery. That was like a ma little masterclass there in, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I appreciate it. That was, that was fantastic. So let me ask you one last question. What is, uh, spiritually renewing to you? What, what does that look like for you to just get renewed? Go to a twins game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, our Minnesota Twins, baby, we're heading to the playoffs. Let's go! Hey, um, you gotta believe. You gotta believe. We're we're about to uh, set the all-time home run record and beat out the Yankees for the most home runs in a, in a season. So I'm loving our Twins. But okay, okay. Um, but yeah, no. How do I become spiritually renewed? Um, for me, it's what we've talked about already. But uh, setting aside those prayer and fasting times have been the biggest catalyst for my life, hands down. Um, that. And then um, I would say renewal is more than just spiritual. Renewal impacts your life. Uh, and so right now, I would just ask you a question and say, what right now is a thorn in your side dealing with your life? Is it a board member that's causing you to just dread them? Is it your relationship with your wife or your husband? Is it um, your child? What's causing you stress and what's causing you to have a thorn in your flesh? And then I would say, is if you really want to see renewal, find a solution to deal with it. Go after it until there's renewal. Because oftentimes renewal doesn't come because we've allowed problems or issues to exist just because we haven't done anything about it. We haven't dealt about it. And so, um, you know, when scripture says, uh, try to be at peace with everybody, you know, seeking out relationships that are bothering you, um, I'm looking to bring restoration. And sometimes, yeah, you need to do a washing of this, but I have found when, um, when I can make sure the things that are in my sphere of, of stewarding, when those are in line and priority, I feel a natural renewing that comes from the Holy Spirit. But I would say the biggest source had for sure spiritually has got to be just those moments of prayer and fasting and, and the reward, the reward that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. And that come out through um, an inner transformed life. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we need to underestimate going to the game. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, we, I mean, we, 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 we need to be able to have fun in ministry, you know, and I, I'm going to pass it along from my senior pastor. He said, Micah, we take things too seriously. We're too hard on ourselves. We take things too seriously. He's like, Micah, have fun in ministry. Have fun. Go to a game. Go to a, go, you know, go, go do something that'll make you laugh. Go be around people that bring you life every time or, you know, and so I think that's a, a, a simple thing we can do that will help bring renewal for sure. Yeah. And even going to the gym, right? I mean, getting, yep. getting out there and just, uh, I mean, I think that I know a lot of times we underestimate those things and we kind of like shove them off as non-spiritual, right? But yep. that all those things are so important to us. Uh, you know, getting to the gym and going out and having some fun at the game with, with your family, your friends, and 
and and then obviously you know prayer and fasting all that kind of stuff. But I think all of that, like you said, it's not just the spiritual things because mm-hmm. you know I mean all things are spiritual, and so it, it, mm-hmm. it our heart, our mind, our soul, it, all of it is important. And so mm-hmm. uh, so good, so good. Uh, appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much for, for sure. your time. Uh, man, just just such a good insight into ministry and uh, what it's like to be on the road and uh, man, just such challenging to just, you know, pray and fast and be with the Lord. So thank you so much, Mike, for being with us and uh, look forward mm-hmm. to another time with everybody here soon. For sure. Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it, bro. Absolutely.